Hey, let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, uh, it's, it's been an interesting weekend and uh, with the snow and everything and people being able or not being able to get out. Uh, Lord, we just lift the morning up to you and we know that the year uh, as we see it, uh, we can't see much of it, uh, but you can see the whole thing. And so as we mark this, uh, I think this morning has a target that's a good target for the year and uh, I seek you for you to confirm that. Uh, through the power of your spirit, and I ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so um, one of the fantastic benefits uh, living here in the Northwest, and a number of you uh, do this as well, is the unbelievable scenery we have, right? I mean, just you don't have to go far, and uh, you can really be in some gorgeous stuff. And we've got, you know, with the mountains, one of the things we have that other places don't are just some incredible vistas, right? You come over like this guy and you're standing on the edge and looking over and going, wow, just spectacular kind of stuff. Um, hiking up a trail, you, you come around and you, you catch this view and it's just absolutely stunning. And, uh, and I've noticed that people tend to view the vista differently depending on the age that they are. Right? So if you've been on a trail, see if you don't recognize this as you've been hiking along a trail. So if you've got kids there, right, they come running up, cool, what's for lunch? Right? That's about how much they grass them. And then, Johnny, stop pushing me, Mom! Right? They're not even really paying attention to this. It's just the more immediate stuff around them. Teens, wow, cool, beat you to the next spot. Right? And they just race right off the exits. Adults are so busy keeping the first two groups away from the ledge that they can hardly acknowledge the view, right? Empty nesters, wow. Look at that, honey. Very few people ever get to see something like this. Let's just take it all in for a few minutes. We have time, right? And then they usually stay there until the next group coming through destroys the tranquility, right? Have you ever been, right? Do you see some, right? And then all of a sudden, and oh, okay, on we go. And then if you see grandparents... Grandparents go, wow, you know what? This might be the last time I ever get up to see something like this again. And they drink it in much more than just the view. They're measuring the view against life. And they stand there and they're, they're contemplating a whole vista of things that younger people can't even understand or appreciate or grasp simply because they haven't been there yet, right? And as with uh, hiking and vistas, so I found in life that the passing of the old year into the new year, as we're doing here this morning, uh, is measured in different ways depending on your age as well. Uh, kids this morning are going, Krispy Kreme donuts, awesome! What a great church! Okay? And it's interesting how they view time as well. If you ask one of them, how old are you? I'm free. And a half. Okay? And that half is very important. Right? You talk to little kids, I'm free and a half. They're not just three, right? They're three and going to be four, right? But that half really marks something because uh, there's a strong push to be older and not be the baby anymore, right? I grow up now. I'm big kid. I'm not the baby anymore. There's a, that push to go that way. Teens. <clears throat> oh, man, back to school already, right? <laughs> Tomorrow, Tuesday, down we go. It's also how interesting how they view time. Man, this year is taking forever. Is it ever going to get there? Because why? What were we looking forward to? 
summer, woohoo, right? And we just like, oh, this, I don't know if I'm going to make it kind of thing. Uh, empty, if you look at uh, parents of teens, are we going to make it through this year? Right? Empty nesters. Man, this is great. We can do anything we want. This is awesome. Man, the house is quiet. Right? And elderly. Well, made it through another year. <laughs> you know, that was a major achievement. And time is a weird thing in that it seems to go faster the older you get. Uh, someone was asking me the other day how it felt for me to be turning 61. I turned 61 on Tuesday, all right, just in case you want to know. And I said, well, it's kind of like, it feels kind of like a roll of toilet paper. The more you use, the faster it comes off the roll. <laughs> right? If you're over 50, you'll get that. But there's a lot of truth to this idea. Remember when you were a kid and a day lasted forever? You had all day to play. And then it was a week. Like, we're going on vacation for a week? A whole week? Wow! Like, that's just like spanned out to like incredible. And then, then it would be a month. You remember at the stage when you got into, usually it's junior high and high school, but certain months stood out, right? Like this whole month was really... Like, it's December, right? And it's the whole month of Heads for Christmas. Or it's, it's July, right? And it's summer vacation. or you, And you have a month sticks out to you. And then, as you roll a little bit farther along, a summer. Remember when summers seemed to last forever? Right? Like, you can't even imagine the end of it. It's just, you played all day and you went to sleep and go, I get to do this all summer long. It's like, wow. And then years, right? You started to mark years like that. And they kind of clipped through. I don't know, for you... I don't know what happened to 2016. It blew by me. I never caught up to it. And I can't believe it's 2017 because I never caught up to 2016. All right? And so I'm like, I got to start over and I never was ready to start. Okay? So for me, it's like, wow. And then as you get older, five-year clips go rolling by. And you're like, wow, what happened to the 70s? Right? I knew that would get a chuckle out of some of you. All right. And in the midst of, of this, Scripture has a number of exhortations about uh, our use of time that I think are, are really good. And if you look at this one up on the screen, it says this, O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath, Selah. Surely man goes about as a shadow. That word selah is just contemplate. Stop for a second, pause, and think about that. Think about uh, how to measure your days, how to measure your life. A hand breath is the three fingers put together like this. It's the smallest Jewish measurement, if you want to know the, the history behind it. Kind of interesting. And, uh, and so when it says my life is a, a few hand breaths, is when you're measuring against eternity, it's not very much, right? It doesn't last very long. It's not very big. Put two or three of those together, you got about this much. That's not a lot. And saying, as the author is saying, as the psalmist is talking about, as I look at eternity, as I measure the big picture, and I look at my life and how fast it's going, even from a teen's perspective, wow, my goodness, that's not very long. And so then the scripture is encouraged. So then teach me how to measure my days. It says in here that my life, 
uh, surely a man goes about that. I pulled a few more verses uh, from it. It says, uh, my life is a shadow. Right? Uh, have you ever watched shadows? Shadows are kind of cool. Like, for example, in your house, I'll bet you you are familiar with the shadow pattern in your house. And I'll bet you you're familiar with it depending on the season of the year. If you have house plants, you're very attuned to this, right? Have you ever sat in your house and watched the shadows move? Right? They don't look like they're moving, but if you're sitting there for any length of time, all of a sudden you'll notice that the shadow has moved along the wall. Not rapidly, but knowably. And you sit and watch, and pretty soon you can see the shadow has gone all the way across the room. Or, for example, we spend an entire day, and it's a great day. If you're out in the woods uh, hiking or camping, you become very aware of this because you start to notice that the shadows start to lengthen, right? And we start to realize, okay, the day is coming to an end. Time to get the campfire going. Time to Because the lengthening shadows, uh, often uh, in real hot weather, the end, end of the day where the shadows lengthen is the most welcome and comfortable part of the day because the shadows lengthen and now you can sit in the shadows where it's cool rather than where it's been exceedingly hot for most of the day. So they move, they move, but they move slowly. And like in a house, the shadows actually shape a lot of the ambiance of your house, of your home. Uh, we place windows and we place the house in certain ways so that the sunlight comes in at certain angles and we become very familiar uh, with the shadow pattern within our house. But what you notice about them is that they don't last long. Right? It moves pretty quickly. And the psalmist is saying, my life is going through life like a shadow. It's moving and it isn't going to be long before it isn't here anymore. The other word that he uses is like a vapor. Okay? My, my life's like a vapor. Uh, we have a lot of people vaping these days. It was funny in the cold weather, um, right? Because you guys are laughing because of that. I didn't think I'd use it, did you? But, the, you know, you get in the cold weather. We were up in the mountains up by Snoqualmie Pass, and people were vaping. You'd see this big cloud of smoke come out, and like, you know, kind of thing. It says, and you watch that, and you go, how long does that last? Right? Big cloud, but then, then it's gone. It's only a few seconds, and, it, and it's actually gone. And so what the psalmist is saying is, teach me to value time. Teach me to um, value my, the opportunities that come my way. Teach me how to make wise choices, God. I'm recognizing my life isn't that long. Make me know how to measure my days. How do I uh, live, uh, live with understanding? How am I uh, a person who can live in an understanding way with the way you've designed life? And why? Because life is moving and like a shadow, you too will soon be off the stage. That's harder for you guys to believe than it is for these guys to believe. Okay? But it doesn't take long. Some other exhortations in Scripture uh, that we're looking at. In Psalm 90, it says, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. In other words, if you just got good genes and good DNA, you can, you can rock it out till 80. And yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone away and we fly away. Uh, there's that commercial out that you've probably seen of 
the old guy with his uh, phone with the music, right? And he starts walking up the, the dive platform and he hands the little girl his glasses. And the guy in that commercial, when they did that commercial, he was 86 years old. And a very famous person in Spain and uh, had done all these things. I got all this information from Rich Garrett yesterday. And, um, and, and it hits the right note and he, and he does this 10-meter dive off, okay, that platform that's 30 feet up in the air, right? It's like jumping off a 30-foot silo, just whoa! And he makes that dive right on the note when he hits the water and right the water splashes on the thing. Um, that, that is an incredible feat for a man that's 86 years old. But what they don't tell you in the commercial, since that commercial is made, he has passed away. All right? Yeah, oh, some of you don't even know has made an impact because you like the commercial, but he's already passed away. And, and that's what this is saying here. Our life, there's 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. That guy made 86, right? There's some exceptions out there, right? We know people who probably lived uh, into their 90s, or we might even know some people living in their 100s. But by far and away, they are the exceptions to the rule. You, if you take the, the major slot, most people live 70 to 80. That's about it. And anything else past that is kind of, kind of a gift. Um, so if you're 40-something this morning, you're halfway done. Okay? Just thought I'd cheer you up. <laughs> you know, it's interesting when people walk in my office because I, I have people who blunder into terrible sin, Right? and have, have really messed up their lives. And it's absolutely tragic and crushing and sad to watch what they've done. But one of the things that gets their attention about the Lord is I look at them and I say, you know, you realize that you have one 20-year run left. You have one 20-year run left. How are you going to spend that last run? And it really gets them to focus on life in a way they've never focused before because they realize it isn't unending anymore. They can't keep doing what they've done. They've got to turn and they've got to make some changes. And um, if you were I am, all right, you may not even have 20 years. Now, the hope is I do, right? If I turn 61, 20-year run, 81, okay, that's pretty good. My one grandmother lived to 95, my other one to 93. Uh, so I got longevity on my side of the thing. But is that a guarantee? No, it's not a guarantee at all. Uh, and if you wonder why I'm saying that, uh, just check out Ecclesiastes 12. At the end of Ecclesiastes, the, the writer Solomon says, you know, do the things, and teens, this is great for you, so take this in. Live for God now. Live for God while you can. Live for God while you've got your strength. Live for God while you've got your flexibility. Live for God while you bounce. When you hit my age, you don't bounce anymore, all right? But do it now, because when you get older, you start to lose your options. You can't do what you always thought you wanted to do. And your world starts to shrink, and you can't do the things for the Lord that you thought you always would be able to do, or you'd get around to. And what you find out is it passed you by and now you're old or crippled or something's happened and you can't pull it off anymore. And Ecclesiastes 12 is talking about that, is to use your life while you've got that option, while you've got your health. Pam and I are at the stage, um, 
where we're watching our parents' health issues and frailness arise. Okay? Uh, both my dad and, and her dad are gone. And uh, now we have our moms left. And both of them are fighting different things. And what we're seeing is we're just watching their world shrink and close in. Okay? They, they can't do, they can't even get out. Uh, especially for Pam's mom, can't get out hardly at all anymore. So you can't do the things you thought you could always do because you can't get there, right? And so the Bible's saying, don't think you're eternal. Focus on the now and set yourself up for what the Lord has for you to do. Um, and the insight in this is even if you have a long life and a good life, it says, uh, even if you live 80, this, the span, a span is this, from your wrist to your finger. That's a span. The Bible says God measures the universe by the span of his hand. Okay? But it says the span of our life, you think how long that is, that's not very long. It says the span of our life is, um, is our strength is 80, but the span is still toil and trouble. And they are soon gone and we fly away. Then it goes on to say, who considers the power of your anger or, the, or your wrath according to the fear of you? Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I like how NIV says this. It says, who knows the power of your anger for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Okay? Do you want to know how much fear you should give to God? Just figure out how great his wrath is and measure that against the fear that is due him. You know, we don't live in the fear of God anymore, right? We've got the Jesus is my buddy kind of thing going. And we really aren't thinking about uh, the wrath of God. We need to be concerned with that. Uh, but I would suggest that that's not going out of style. Uh, it's still a very important uh, issue because the fear of God was once a topic that held people's sin nature in check. You simply didn't do stuff because you knew there was a living God who would bring that decision into judgment and that that would not go well. And so you simply did not make that choice based on the fact that there was a God who held people's uh, sin accountable. But we've kind of thrown that. That's kind of been relegated to the trash can. But I want to say this morning, the Bible's adamant that this has not gone out of style or out of vogue and it should inform our decision-making process. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it should inform how you make decisions and it should inform what decisions you don't make because of the fear of God. That relationship should put a check in your spirit if you're contemplating doing something that you know is against His will. You know He will not approve of. You know He is not going to bless and you're making that decision, that should put a huge check in your spirit because the God's the wrath or the fear is as great as his wrath. Right? That that's something that should give us pause. Ecclesiastes goes on to say this. Okay, you don't have to do that, just you know, blow by that. Uh, you don't have to listen to Steve because he's an old guy. What does he know? Uh, Rejoice, young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Charge, right? There we go, gang. And uh, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. In other words, take it all in. Live life to the gusto, as TV always tells us. But know for they, these things, God will bring you into judgment. Now, who's writing that? 
who was a really young man who had all kinds of opportunities, had all kinds of anointing, had all kinds of wisdom. His name was Solomon. The Bible says that he was the wisest person that's ever lived on the face of the earth. And he did what this verse said, is he took in with his eyes. If you read his writings, he'll tell you that he gave himself permission to indulge. And he did. He had... Uh, an amazing number of wives, amazing number of concubines, amazing number of gold, amazing number of horses, amazing throne, amazing palace. You name it, he had it. Amazing gardens. Okay? Uh, and, and he took it all in. In other words, whatever he wanted to do, he allowed himself to do. But what does he say? But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Why? Because Solomon realized he was going to be brought into judgment for the things that he had allowed himself to do. That's not a really popular message these days, but it's a biblical message. The Bible indicates that we are free to walk our own way. Right? Have you, have you seen anybody walk their own way? You seen anybody just go, right? I don't care what you and your stinky old Bible say. I don't have to listen to you. Neener, neener, neener. Right? Bolt. You ever see anybody do that? Bible indicates we're free to do that. If we want to stick our nose up at God, uh, we can do it. We can fill our life, as the Apostle John says, with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, but that there's a final judgment, and one must, should, make choices that line up with the grace that God is extending to us rather than filling our lives that, with things that will burn up and become chaff says it's going to get measured one day. Here's the thing about Solomon. Uh, Solomon wound up bankrupt. Okay? Wound up bankrupt. Uh, it's a tragic story. Um, because he felt that his gift of wisdom, which, by the way, where did that gift of wisdom come from? Did that come from Solomon or from God? That was a grace gift given to Solomon as unto no one else ever in the history of the world. It came from God, right? So he had this grace gift that came from God. It wasn't something he earned. But because he had this gift of wisdom, he made a decision that many people often make, and that's this. Uh, He was exempt in the area of obedience. I don't have to obey because I'm smart. And I can figure it out. You ever think you're smarter than God? Right? You ever just go, yeah, I know that's what the Bible says, but I'm going to do this and it'll work out. Right? That's what Solomon did. He said, I'm exempt. I'm special. I'm the unique case because I'm so much smarter than other people. I don't have to uh, follow the rules. The rules weren't made for me. I'm an exemption. Right? And if you look... um, at his life, what you'll find out is that uh, he wasn't an exemption. And we are to consider not only what we're building, but how we are building. Uh, this passage here in 1 Corinthians says, according to the grace God given me, this is the Apostle Paul writing, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Christ Jesus. This is a very important passage on inheritance. Uh, And it points out that the only way we have an inheritance 
is if Jesus is our foundation. And the way Jesus becomes your foundation is that if you accept his offer for salvation and make him Lord and Savior. And if you've not done that in your life yet, it's very simple but very hard to do. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge my rebellion and my sin against you. I acknowledge that I've gone my own way. I acknowledge that my choices have caused miserable problems or wrecked things in my life. I make a great me. I make a lousy you. And I want to stop playing that. Lord, I want to ask you to come into my life and save me. Would you free me from myself and let me just be me? And I'd be saved in your grace. And I ask you to come in, Lord Jesus. Amen. That's the prayer. Curbing the will behind it is much tougher. Because at the bottom issue, it's always an authority issue. It is always who's in charge. Or in America, the way we'd say it, who's in control. Who calls the shots? Am I going to allow God to call the shots or do I call the shots? And here it's saying uh, this matters because it matters how that does it matter if the foundation in your house is cracked? Any of you ever have to deal with a cracked foundation in your home? Right? Not cheap to fix, right? And in some homes, uh, they actually get tagged because the house is no longer fit to be lived in because the foundation is wrecked. And so it really matters if you lay a good foundation. This passage goes on to say this, If anyone builds a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Notice the difference in those two lists. If anyone builds a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. Manifest means visible. You'll actually be able to see it. There is a time, right now, we know Jesus is alive. We know that he's uh, even present here this morning. But with our physical eyes, we can't see him. There's going to come a time when he is manifest. Every eye will see and every knee will bow. Okay? doesn't mean he went anywhere. It just simply means he made it... Uh, a us able to see his actual presence. And here it's saying something else is going to be made manifest. The thing that's going to be made manifest is how we built upon the foundation that was given us. In other words, as Jesus came and saved us, what did we build upon? Did we build upon it with earthly things or did we build upon it with heavenly, enduring things? And it's laid out as gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. It says it will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The picture is someone escaping out of a burning house and they weren't. it was so fast and so quick They weren't even able to grab anything. Not only that, but the very clothes were burned off their back and they came out. They managed to survive, but they have nothing to show for it because the fire took everything. If a fire was applied to your life, if it was set to all the choices and all the things you have and the things you chose, what would remain out of the fire? That's what this passage is talking about. Everyone is building. Everyone here this morning. As a matter of fact, everyone who isn't here this morning is building. Everyone's building some sort of foundation. Everybody's setting something up. 
It's not a question of whether we are building or not. It's a question of what we are building. And maybe even more importantly, what we're building with. Because what we build with will be tested by fire. Now here's the interesting thing. Gold, silver, precious stones, put them to fire, what happens to them? They just become brighter, right? They just get brighter. What happens to wood, hay, and straw? Right? Nothing left. The Bible calls it chaff. Right? We would call it ashes from the fire pit. You ever, you ever try to start your fire uh, right, uh, out in the backyard and you've got to get some paper going, right? And sometimes it doesn't start right. So now you've got your fire pit and it's full of wood and a bunch of ash. Okay? What, what does that ash do once the fire really gets going? It just, you ever see it just flip away and disappear? That's what the Bible says this will, will look like. So as we're talking, then, we need to build, yes, and I want to make this point, but build by grace. In other words, as we go into 217, what is it by grace that God has given you? What has Jesus given you by grace? This is in Ephesians, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. But if you think of presents, right, we're just out of Christmas, you want to talk about the best, best present? you know, we gave you uh, this Right now, media, you know, basically Christian Netflix, you're going, wow, what an awesome gift. That doesn't match anything compared to what Jesus has given us. Okay? It's the greatest gift. It, it was a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. But that also means everybody can get in. Right? It's not about status or works or gifts or talents or skills. It's about who accesses Jesus. You know, we have this right now media, and uh, it's available to every single one here. And it's available to every single person who's not here this morning. Okay? That's part of our church. All they got to do is give us an email and a name and they can be a part of it. Does that mean everybody will access it? No. Right? Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, I heard them say something about that once. Wasn't that last year they talked about that? Right? Just because we have access to it doesn't mean we will take access to it. And that's what this is pointing out here. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, for the church, God's got things that we can do. There's things that we can do by faith, by grace, that we could do. And my guess is that 217 is not going to be any different. All right? It's going to be a year of grace works that God's got things prepared that we can do and will we step in them. And I want to suggest for 2017, the issue is building on the rock. You know this story. Jesus told this parable. Everyone who hears these words of mine, right? And he compares two men, one who built on the sand and one who built on the rock. Same storm struck both. And it was a shattering storm. You can tell from the description he uses here. It says that the, the rain fell and the floods came. And we know what that looks like in the Northwest, right? When it blows and it howls, we know what that can do. It says the winds blew and they beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. When the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I'll bet you you had a few storms. I don't care what age you are here this morning. I'll bet you you had a few storms in 2016. I'll bet you there were a few unexpected things that came your way that you hadn't signed up for, right? You weren't standing in a line going, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me for that. It picked you. Do you think 2017 is going to be any different? 
I don't think so. Right? I think there's going to be storms that come our way and storms test the foundation of a home and test the foundation of our faith. So what does this mean? A wise person always allows Jesus to lead. Here's the other thing it means. Sin still produces death. Okay? Wrong choices done outside the will of God still produce death. It still takes faith to live the Christian life. Rocket science, right? You knew that, right? It's still it's going to take faith this year, right? Hello. Faith, right? Okay, yeah, okay, there we go. Now you're getting, okay. Right? It's going to take faith. And there will be storms that buffet and test that faith. So, and by the way, just to add the last one, it always pays to build our lives on what Jesus has told us and not what the world has told us. The wise person still tracks what Jesus... That's why reading through the Bible makes all the difference in the world. Again, we'd like to encourage you on that. All right, so with that then, this morning, what's the takeaway for going into 2017? Uh, I want to ask you this question this morning. What's your big play for 2017? Uh, I got this concept uh, off the radio. I was listening to Ray Roberts. Any of you know who Ray Roberts is? He's a former NFL football player, played uh, offensive line uh, for the Seahawks and then later for Detroit. Now he's a radio analyst and that kind of stuff. But he's, he's a really uh, neat guy. And he was talking about uh, how he and Dave Wyman, another former Seahawk and uh, radio announcer, how they coached football teams together. And what he was talking about in the process was that they were teaching everyone on the team about their big play. And here's what he was saying on the radio as I was listening to him, and it struck me that uh, it just like the Lord handed me the illustration for the morning, I went, that's perfect. Because okay? here's what he's saying, is everybody dreams of being the star quarterback, right? If you watch the games, I said the star quarterback or the star receiver who catches the 80-yard bomb and races into the end zone, or the running back who makes a 80-yard you know, run and eludes 11 tacklers and scores a touchdown. Everybody wants to be the star. But he says, you know, on a football team, not everybody can be the star. Not everybody is going to be uh, the, the person who's the highlight reel film. But everybody has a big play on the team. And he said what we tried to coach them in was this. Everybody has a big play. And what I mean by that is if uh, you are the other receiver and you're going down and when the star receiver catches the ball, your job is to block out that person so that they can get to the end zone. If you do that job well, that was your big play. If you're on defense and your job is to go into the line and swallow up two blockers so that the other person can break free and get to the quarterback. That's your big play. If you are uh, a running back and you're a blocking back, you're not the back that gets the ball. You're the one that blocks for the back that gets the ball and you have to go in the line and you peg the linebacker so that he can't get to the back and the running back gains 15 yards. That was your big play. And he says everyone has a big play on a football team. And if you can get the players to identify their big play and you can get them to identify what they're supposed to do, all right, then, and Nick Saban would call that the process, right? We saw how the process worked yesterday, right? Pretty effective, all right? Oh, come on, lighten up. Here we go. Jeez. They, but everybody does their job. If they do their job well, that is the big play. 
It's called do your job well. Well, what's your job? What is Jesus giving you? Know, and it's true when you come to the, the Christian life. You know, um, we dream of being stars, right? Uh, it might be the dream of being the next Billy Graham or the next Beth Moore or the next Newsboys or the next Mother Teresa. It can be all kinds of variety of, you know, I'm, I want to be the next Francis Chan. I want to be the next, right? Uh, there's that dream of wanting to be that person, but not everybody's going to be the next Billy Graham or the next Charles Spurgeon or the next Mother Teresa or the next Beth Moore. We have roles, we have slots. What's our slot? What's our place that God has given us? Because we're all part of Jesus' team. And Jesus' team is huge. Across this planet, he has got an amazing team assembled. We only see glimpses of the big picture. But in that big, huge team that he's building, what's your big play for 2017? What has he asked of you to do well? Maybe it's a very mundane, very routine thing. Okay, It is not glamorous. Maybe it's something as simple as, students, talk to your mom nice. Get rid of the tone. You know what I mean? Right? Just that simple. Okay? Or adults. You have to love your children. Wives, love your husband. Respect your husband. Husbands, love your wives. Those kind of things can be your big play. And they make all the difference in the world. They make all the difference in the life of this church. Because if we aren't doing our big play, then what happens is we're just talking about things, but we're not actually doing things. And when we don't do the things, just like a football team, it makes a big difference if you follow through. If you watched any of the games yesterday, it became fairly obvious when somebody missed something. Like, whoa! Uh, There was one play where uh, the Alabama defensive lineman just literally uh, left the Husky guy baffled, blew by him, never knew what happened. Okay. Did that make a big difference? I'll guarantee you that made a big difference for Jake Browning. Okay. Right. Likewise, it makes a big difference when we don't do our big play. What has Jesus asked us to do? So let me ask you this morning. Going into 2017, can you identify that assignment? It may not be glamorous. It may not be big. It may not, be, it may not glitter. It may not gather a lot of applause. It may not gather a lot of attaboys. It may not uh, even be seen by other people. Some of the biggest plays, if you know Jesus, are plays that other people never see. Right? They're done behind the scenes. They go into what I call the Jesus account. And the reason I call it the Jesus account is because he's the only one who ever sees it. What's your big play for 2017? What has he asked you to do? And what I want to suggest is this. If we all did our big play, if we all owned what Jesus has asked us to do, we would see life squirt out of us in amazing ways because it's not about us. It's, been, it's a gift from him. And it's of the Holy Spirit. And we would see that life manifested among us. And so as you go today, think about For 2017, what move of faith do you need to execute this year to help the team? To literally help cooperate with what Jesus is doing. What's your big play? Let's pray.
Father, I pray that that phrase, big play, catches in people's minds. And I pray that they think about what is my big play? What is it you want to line up for me? What is it you want me to do? What is it that I'm supposed to do by faith? And Lord, I, I pray especially if it's little. I pray especially if it's mundane. I pray especially if it's boring. I pray especially if you've only asked them and you haven't asked everybody else around them to do it. A lot of times we come back to you, Lord, and go, well, what about everybody else? How come they don't have to do it? And Jesus, you simply come back to us and say, because I didn't ask them, I asked you. What are you asking us that comes straight from you? What's our big play? By your Spirit, may you have a conversation and illuminate that for us. And may we be a different church because of it. And may we be a hopeful church because of it. May we be a joy-filled church because of it. May we be a church that has your manifest presence because of it. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and stand up.